Pokemon into VG Emporium, video game music, and more. I'm your host, Rage Cage, and today I have uh, Gene here with me again with a really cool topic. Hey, everybody. Gene here from Pixelated Audio. I've already been on the show, I think, once before. I had a really great time. I'm, I'm back here again doing a little bit more bargain hunting. <laughs> well, so many bargains. That's the beauty of an Emporium. You can just look all over the place and just find the coolest things for only a cent. Yeah, I'm... I'm looking for some used game companies, uh, no longer in business. If you've got any of those. Oh yeah, no, no, I got, I got, I got that section right there, and even got them by, you could say by state. I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think you'd be interested in like you know some from our home state here, California. Oh yeah. I imagine you're familiar with some of them. I have heard of the state, California. Yeah, I've been here a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, since about this game came oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> oh damn. Yeah. So. Probably about the same time I've been here too. <laughs> I I so we were talking back and forth, and I don't know why I've been wanting to do a show about this. Maybe it's the nostalgia talking, getting older, but I've really wanted to do a show on music from defunct game companies, and I think there's a million of them. I could have picked any of them, yeah. but I specifically picked California because I personally have a lot of memories with at least three of the games that I picked, and you know like actual real world out in the world life experiences that you know have to do with these companies so it was kind of like a you know an opportunity for me to sort of reminisce and you know think about how much not only the industry but california and the bay area has changed and i, I know you're not in the bay area but you're close enough so yeah <laughs> no, i'm a i'm a i'm a socal like los angeles transplant but i moved out here probably around the same time as you did like about 90 91 or so so it's like I have barely any memories of there, and I've been to, I've been a foothill bunt. What is it? A foothill bumpkin, since the early '90s. So foothill bumpkin. What does that mean? Well, I've been living in the gold country, so like you know Auburn, uh, right, Placerville. Right. So like basically the places before you get to the Sierra Mountains. I'm in the foothills. Gold there's country. So many, there's so many little <laughs> foothills in California that when you say that, I have to ask you to be specific. Oh yeah, sorry. The eastern foothills <laughs> of like you know the Bay Area, East Bay is like oh, yeah, 20, yeah, yeah. 20 minute drive for me and i'm like you're not that close <laughs> yeah sorry yeah because like you know i should i just say the sierra foothills come on down for your apple and gold pan and <laughs> i don't know no nah, i'm from the bay <laughs> okay well then cool. you keep your salty water i'll stay with my river and my giard my giardia <laughs> and uh you know have foam coming out of my coming out with me all right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm really excited to kind of hear what you'd have to say about these game companies because, again, I was from Los Angeles, and if I had you know stayed down there, my family stayed down there, I probably would have had some experience with some of those companies down there because, you know, I would have had access to downtown, you know, all those places. So, be kind of interested to hear what you have to say about it all. So I I brought this track in. This is one of the first PC games I ever played, and. Uh, uh, little secret for you. I picked the FM version, but I'll be honest, I heard it on PC speaker. Oh, because <laughs> I did not have a <laughs> did not have a sound card on my very first computer. Oh, it was like a three eighty six or two eighty six. Delightful. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it's still a pretty good tune. That was from the game Test Drive Three: The Passion, composed Passion. by Russell Schiffer. The Passion. <laughs> so, a couple couple things. This game was uh, by Accolade which I did not write notes, but if I remember correctly, Accolade was kind of an offshoot of 
I want to say Activision. So, you know, the old game pioneers, either yeah. Atari or Activision, a lot of the, the people were like, well, screw this like big corporate thing. We're going to start our own thing. And in the late 80s, actually mid 80s even, a lot of these companies just sort of sprung up that were, you know, you get like 3DO and all these other things that happened later. All of these people just sort of came together, you know, briefly. They were either working for Apple or Atari or Activision. And then, you know, that's kind of what seeded that first generation of game companies in the Bay Area. And funny story, I remember I was very young. I, went, I don't know, like seven, eight. And I remember driving around. I don't know why I was driving around this part of town. But I remember, like, looking up, as, as you do when you're a kid, kind of because you're bored, and yeah. seeing on the side of a building the giant Accolade logo. And I think it huh. was the first time I remember that association with, like, the games that I play come from a real place. A real place. That <laughs> you know what I mean? Near you. Yeah, they didn't just end up on a store shelf somewhere with like a logo for a game company that I recognize just from seeing. It's like, no, this is like 20, 30 <laughs> minutes away from my house. I Dang. like, you know, and it was like the Accolade logo with the like the the bar through it, just like the real one. It, you know, and <laughs> I think they died around two thousand, to be honest. Um, but and, and Accolade never made the greatest games. And yeah. in fact, I lived in an apartment. It was no longer Accolade at this point, but I lived in an apartment right next to that building. And every time I drove by, I was like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> I remember when that was a game company, which is, I guess, my version of, I remember when this used to be Orchards, which is the oh, wow. old California. Yeah. You know, everybody who's been in California for longer than I have will used to, you know, it used to be Orchards, which is true. It's just, yeah. it sounds very old and nostalgic, but I guess <laughs> I remember when game companies used to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Not not only that, I oh, I, I don't want to uh, let's let's chat a little bit more. I have a little bit more to say about the specific yeah. game, but I, I don't want to run you off your own show. No, you, no go, go, go. Like, that's kind of why. I had all right. Because right. there's something that you wanted to talk about. And I was like, all right, let's get of you out course. here. So I mentioned this was one of my very first games. Um, so <laughs> funny story about Test Drive 3. Uh, have you played it before? I have not. I, I have not been a PC gamer at all until like like the mid 2000s or so because like i did not grow with a pc at home okay test drive 3 is weird it's like somebody made a driving sim game open world huh. and then just like sold that <laughs> the objectives are there's barely any like you drive around literally like you know in pseudo 3d okay you can drive kind of not infinitely but it feels like it it's one of those games okay there's like obstacles like bridges that you can jump over if you really gun it uh the graphics are primitive enough that the cars all kind of look like the cyber truck that oh, uh, tesla just put out <laughs> Ooh, that's yeah bulletproof which is one of the reasons why <laughs> which is one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about this i'm like <laughs> wow elon musk really went back to some old uh video games for inspiration now i don't condone uh getting your games from a truck <laughs> but i did have some cousins that handed me a couple of diskettes uh, full of games that either had copy protection broken or, you know. So, you know, just imagine little Gene wearing some sunglasses playing this game. You pass through the, uh, oh, you need to type in the, you know, the thing using the code wheel to get past <laughs> the copy protection. Not this guy. <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> so that's been my experience with the Tetra Test Drive 3. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something I kind of wish I had gotten to experience was just like that. You know, having just a 
even like a basic PC at home and be able to play like these all these weird cool games that were coming out, you know. It's still weird. It's it's still weird. I I don't recommend you go back and play it necessarily, but like load up one of those um, archive.org DOS box things and just run it for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I've gone back and like you know downloaded DOS, DOS box and all these different like you know old PC emulators. Even like uh, I got that Mio Mini that uh, that uh, Brian has. Oh yeah, and I've been able to I've been able to get DOSBox and even Scum VM running on it. So you know they have the cores for that on the uh, RetroArch. So that was that's been pretty interesting to play around with. Oh man, so many so many Sierra <laughs> games played on that old PC. Uh, I think I barely managed to get it to run Doom, or that might have been the next version. I don't remember. But in any case, I the accolade i i don't have much to say about the company itself other than like let's be honest the games they were making were never gonna cut muster they were like boring sports games simulation games cheap knockoffs of better franchises Eh, it happens it's i'm i'm a little sad to see them go just because i do have a lot of memories attached to their games they were a huge games publisher but you know yeah eh, it happens so what did you bring what did you bring because we're you know, we agreed on this theme a little while ago. I honestly have no idea what your picks are. I mean, I looked at the list. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna love this stuff. So, um, yeah, I've got a, you know, I got one game that I I have actually played, which came out in the mid 2000s. But we're gonna start with one that uh, I was very surprised and excited to see, and was surprised I was actually able to get it to run on my PC or on my laptop because, um, again, you have me digging into old PC games <laughs> for a track like last time. But, um, yeah, like I said, I think you're like this. This is coming from a game called Wind Blows Microshaft 98. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going to go through a couple here because they're pretty short. But um, so I'm going to start with the startup. And then we're going to do, what is this, uh, Bill Gates Roll Ahead Herbal Tea. And then Pinbill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's give it a whirl.
Okay, so that was Wind Blows Microshaft 98. <laughs> that was the startup, then Bill Gates Roll Ahead Herbal Tea, and then Pinbill. And uh, I, I don't know who composed these. Actually, hold up. Oh, I did find who composed these. This is uh, done by what's called Chronic Music, and it's a combination of Eric Cunningham, Chris Lang, Ron Schurz, and Johan Langeel. And this was developed and published by Parody Games. This brings me back to a time and a place where Microsoft was, spills, was still spelled with a dollar sign. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm Wait, no, of course not. But you remember in, no, in okay. the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, everybody was always bashing Microsoft and they would always, you know, write their name with a S. Instead of an S, they would have a dollar sign because, you know, CD keys and, and you know, <laughs> greedy Microsoft and, and all of that and, you know. Whatever it's it's a big company. What what are we gonna do? But you know the backlash against them was was huge. Obviously, it sounds like they made an entire Windows parody game. Um, why I don't know. <laughs> well, because like yeah, this is made uh, just before the release of uh, Windows ninety eight. So you have um, you know games you can play like Pinbill, Bill Gates Roll Ahead, and jeez, um, <laughs> ah, what's the other one? It's like some quiz game or something like that, and then. You have these two people, like a janitor and then just some random, like, office lady, and they're just, like, they introduce you to the thing, and then they're just constantly yapping if you're not doing anything on the home screen. And then you have all these different options to do that require an internet connection through some ancient, archaic web, <laughs> uh, web browser, which you can't use with any other newer things. You have to get those things. So I opted out for that. So there's not some things I, some things I didn't get to check out, but, um, you know, I got, I got the main idea. Like, you go to the startup, and it gives you all these different options, but then it opens up a window, like a little side window after side window after side window, and it just trails forever. There's an entire subgenre of games that's literally just like trawling through old fake OSs. I love it. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've considered uh, buying one or two of those before. Um, uh, you know, I, I found something that I enjoyed a lot more, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Hypnospace is currently the reigning champion right now in that sphere. Oh, Hypnospace Outlaw is so good. That's one I've been looking at, too. Um, I'm not, uh, geez, yeah, I've been playing World of Horror, which is kind of similar, like, you know, menu-based. Oh, yeah, that's interactive the, with everything. Is that the one that's, like, kind of Mac and, like old black-and-white Macintosh? I've been yeah, it's supposed to be like for a while. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, old Apple II adventure games and stuff, or Mac adventure games, so, like, you know, hypercard style, like, all one bit. Um, and, yeah, the, you know, art style is very much inspired, inspired by Junji Ito, and a lot of the story is inspired by, like, H.P. Lovecraft and all this kind of crazy body horror stuff, and, uh, you know, cosmic horror, so that's really good. But um, let's see, parody games. Um, as you can probably imagine, the name it's uh, it makes parody games, and their mascot is a parrot with the Groucho Marx mustache, glasses, and cigar. So you know, that, that tells Natu you what's going naturally. on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> naturally. And you know, uh, let's like, see, naturally. Is it a real company, or is it one of these like kind of jokey internet collectives that comes together to like no, quote unquote no, no, make it's a, a real game. company. Okay. It started in 1996. And uh, went defunct in 1999, okay. so not too and so not too long. But it's it was established in Larkspur, so in Marin County, just you know north of where you're at. Yeah, yeah. And then um, and uh, yeah, they made a few games. Like their first one was Pissed, which was a parody on Mist. I love to. I, I've you're like the only other person I've talked to that remembers Pissed. <laughs> uh, probably for the I best. I don't remember Pissed. I didn't know about any of this. I did not know about any of this until you brought this subject up. So Okay. I'm, I'm just going to tell I'm you. learning as I go. <laughs> this is like the second time on a podcast I brought this up. Watch the ending to Pissed. It is 
I'm just going to spoil it for you. It's John Goodman in a bathtub. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It's great. It's great. I could show you a whole other side of Pissed Island that you've never experienced. Yes. No. Yes, you haven't. And you won't, because I'm saving it for the sequel. Aren't hot tubs wonderful? Chef's kiss. John Goodman has been uh, a treasure for so many years. I don't know why he agreed to that project, but I'm I'm so glad that he did. Well, you know, some, probably sometime <laughs> after the Flintstones, that he just wanted something to blow off steam. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what what other games he's, they've done is a uh, Star Warped, which is a of course a parody on Star Wars, but also including Star Trek and um, a bunch of other you know sci-fi parody stuff. Well, you've got and to. X Fools. X uh, like X Files. X Files. I get it. Of course. X Files parody. Yeah. And then, you know, in 1999, they were acquired by, uh, what is this, the Learning Company. Oh, man. And now, you know, they're just, like, because I think before before be, uh, Parody Interactive started, I think whoever started uh, worked on making, like, uh, kind of like edu- edutainment-style games. So they basically just bought the company and took their assets to use for, you know, edutainment stuff. Um, like I said, I, I only barely, you know, did s- just small amount of research just before we got, you know, got this call started. So... <sighs> I had all this time to do it, and I decided to wait until the last half hour, so, you know. That whole edutainment thing is its own. (laughs) Not only I've wanted to do a show on our own podcast about edutainment, but not only that, it's its its own, uh, like, rabbit hole of essentially mergers and acquisitions and basically the entire industry imploded. And it makes me a little bit sad. I understand why it happened, but, like, now it's just sort of cheap mobile games where it's just, like, you know do you know match these things together whereas they put some real effort in some of those entertainment games when we were kids but anyway yeah. i don't want to go down that one <laughs> that read a rabbit hole of course that's that's another that's another day <laughs> another another dig another digging through the shelves i'm pretty sure i got it back there someplace <laughs> but yeah that's that's what i got for you parody games i yeah I, and, and i didn't really get a chance to mention it but i loved that ambient track it was like Donkey Kong Country meets uh, phone hold music, and it's like this is a jam. <laughs> Very strange to like, you know, you wouldn't expect it in like a parody game. You'd expect more like uh, something like Pinbill, just like weird cheesy electronic, or um, the Espresso one is like this kind of rocking, like gu- heavy guitar riffing with like a kind of a breakbeat kind of going in the background. But nope, you get this nice chilled out track while uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs are competing to get the most money. <sighs> the times we lived in. <laughs> They're gone now. Like, uh, what's the what's the quote from uh, Blade Runner? <laughs> like tears in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, no. Oh. Well, what's your next game here, sir? So my next game is... I never get mm-hmm. tired of talking about this one. I have, um, for those of you that know me even a, a little bit, I'm a big fan of birds. Crows in particular, but birds in okay. general. So I have music from the 32X game, probably the only one that anybody remembers, Calibri, by the company Ooh. Appaloosa or Novo Trade. Uh, I am not going to go into their entire history. I'll summarize what I remember about that when we get there, but it's, uh, it's an interesting game. So let's take a listen to that track. This is, I think it was Zone 2. I can't remember, or Track 2 remember the exact one but i don't have a number or named track list so i apologize um, i think i found it it's called penetration nice <laughs> nice coincidence yeah yeah so penetration from colibri by uh, zolt 
Dvornik.
Well, welcome back from that. That was Penetration from Calibri, composed by, I'm going to try this again, uh, Zolt Dvornik. I think it's Zolt Dvornik, probably, or something along those lines. Dvornik? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying it in a bit of a Russian <laughs> accent, because that's unfortunately what I was uh, uh, born with. But, you know, the Appaloosa and um, Novo Trade, I can't remember how the name change happened. They're originally a Hungarian company. And I, I, I learned about this fairly recently. Um, maybe a little bit of trivia for you. I don't know if you know this, but I learned this from They Create Worlds. Shout out to a really wonderful podcast, They Create Worlds. They're not a video game music podcast, but we partnered with them. They are a video game history podcast, often talking about the business side, the game, not so much the game development side, but the like, you know, how did Sega form from a company in the 1920s as like a, you know, a jukebox company until eventually the game company they are today? Like they're tracing these histories. Um, okay. You may have seen the movie recently or heard about it, but the Tetris movie uh, came out, what, about a year ago or six yeah. months ago, something like that. And I believe, if I remember my history from They Create Worlds, Tetris was handled by Hungarian developers because it was an interesting sort of middle ground. It was like... They had the kind of, they were a little bit sort of behind the Iron Curtain, you know. It was still, when Tetris first released, the Soviet Union was still a thing. <laughs> um, they were trying to figure out how to market and sell this thing, but international trade rights were such a pain. They weren't just going to hand it to an American company. They weren't going to hand it to some Japanese company. So they were like, well, some Soviet bloc country that has some good developers you know, that is like a little bit less in the control of the Soviet Union so they can kind of like have those meetings. And and so like, I'm sure that's talked about in the movie in grandiose, overgeneralized terms. But yeah, Hungary was the country that was sort of the broker that made Tetris happen and put that on the map. And um, I, genu I genuinely don't know how many Hungarian companies there are, but I'm going to count them as Californian because they spent so many years in the Bay Area. And I think people would know them probably best for their work on Echo the Dolphin, which I think that's the first game that genuinely made me feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, mm. yeah, I got, I've, yeah, I I've got played bad that. games. I've played games that were like, you know, made me mad or frustrated. But when you're playing Echo the Dolphin, you're like, this is like dread. I, I feel, you know, like, yeah. I'm the last dolphin on earth, basically. I'm like, I'm going to talk to ancient beings that have been here since time immemorial. I'm traveling through a Jeez. vortex to fight a giant xenomorph. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird. And it like, it just is this, the entire journey just gets weirder. And this is the same thing. 32X exclusive. This is basically like Echo the Dolphin, but bird. Right. So instead of being a dolphin, you're just a hummingbird. It's a it's a shmup. It's sort of open ended. It's the graphics are just absolutely beautiful. It's like, you know, peak 16 bit pixel art with great dithering effects, beautiful landscapes, you know, like, uh, you know, jungle and woodlands and probably all sorts of weird other things. It's just like, you know, it was right before 3D became a thing. But it is just so stunning to look at. It's not the best game, but it's like yeah. But it looks it, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, the it pixel art really is unmatched. Pretty. Yeah, it's it's so good. 
And the music is weird. I love it. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, I played a little bit of this game again on my Mio Mini. Thank you, Brian. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like, you know, I I was just going through different ROMs. Like, I think I was going through like CD Romance. And uh, yeah, I saw Calibri and I was like, huh, I haven't heard it. I, I had, I think I heard about this one before, but I was never really seen it. So I decided to try it out. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it looks really nice, but the gameplay was really um, interesting. Like, uh, I think. I got as far as picking up some pebbles or something that I was spitting out at weird bees and shits. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To be honest, another company that I'm not surprised to see fell. They were one of the companies that got really lucky and that they were around in the eighties and nineties and they were able to make just bizarre directionless games. And I don't mean that there were directionless in the sense that there wasn't things to do. I guess that's kind of been my theme, right? Yeah. So far. Um, But like they were able to make (laughs) games that were, somewhat avant-garde if you will and then you know they they the 2000s happen the call consolidation of game companies the you know the game industry starts getting real and companies that do weird experiments and that sort of double a mid-sized company really start to fall by the wayside around this time which is sad triple a triple a mindset started to really take hold what if echo the dolphin but bird you know (laughs) 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 right like that's basically the that's the whole philosophy of the game (laughs) i I, i'd imagine i can i can imagine my mom would like this game because she loves hummingbirds i so you know hey i might have to show it to her i mean maybe even just like watching a playthrough and just appreciating the art and the music and like i don't know man i don't want to say they don't make games like this anymore they probably should have never made a game like this in the first place but i'm glad they did (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i have i have a game right here that they probably should not you know well they made because of course they had to make it but you know it probably probably shouldn't happen uh so we got I got Captain Planet and the Planet Tears. <laughs> um, this is done by Nova Logic, so another Nova company. And uh, this is Hoggish, Hoggish Greedley's Undersea Oil Rig.
Welcome back. That was Hoggish Greedley's under, Undersea Oil Rig from Captain Planet and the Planeteers, developed and published by Nova Logic. Huh. And, uh, yeah, this is not this is not related to the other Captain Planet and the Planeteers game that was on the NES. Different company, different developer. Um, this is its own thing, and it's kind of a one-off because this company, Nova Logic, is most known for their uh, games, the Coman uh, Comanche series and Delta Force series, which um, I think Comanche was like a helicopter sim. Yeah. And then Delta Force is like a first-person kind of like shooter game thing. Huh. But, um... Yeah, so I got I actually have some info on Nova Logic here. I wrote some stuff down in my PS1 notebook. Isn't that you cool? You have a PS1 so, notebook? Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got it for I got it for Christmas. My sister got it for me. It has yeah, just the PS1, the controllers, all this stuff on the front and it just has the logo, but yeah. So the what I got here is so Nova Logic started in 1985 and uh, was went defunct as of 2016. Uh, they were based in Malibu, so SoCal down there. Um what is that ending? <laughs> Throws me every time. Yeah. Okay, so this, uh, they've, uh, like I said, Comanche series, the Delta Force series, though interestingly, it never got the, never got released, but they were the company that was developing Super Mario's Wacky World on the CDI. Ooh. And, uh, you know, we've, I think so there's been, like, some videos of that that have been released, like, showing, like, um, you know, kind of in progress of it from someplace out of nowhere. And then they did a lot of, um, like, you know, ports, like early computer ports. So they did like Bubble Bobble and Arkanoid on the DOS and Apple II and uh, Chess Master on the Game Gear, which is the one that they're really known for as well. And uh, they were they were bought out by THQ Nordic and basically Nova Logic was just shoved underneath the rug and never to be heard Man, from again. those mergers and acquisitions. They just, <laughs> so yep. much. I, that's that's going to be a theme. It's going to be a theme <laughs> for some of my stuff too. But I got to say, what I think what threw me a little bit yeah. was that this company, like, yeah, I, I'd never heard of them before. I guess I'm not surprised. I'm also not surprised that they had a hand in working on some CDI game that got shelved. We're talking 32X CDI. This is definitely the burial grounds yeah. for companies that worked on weird, <laughs> junky old hardware. It's, it's quite silly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's. I you know I don't hate the track. It's not like the best composed thing, but it's it's got a nice little groove to it. It it. Yeah, you know my liking of like you know FM music, you know Sega Genesis stuff. I can definitely say I like this one. Out of all the tracks of this from the uh, game. This is the one that stood out to me because it has the most energy, like actually most coherent, despite that ending. You know, that weird, I don't know what to explain it as, but uh, yeah, it's just a really nice use of all the patches and composition-wise, and uh, it's not annoying, unlike some of the other ones. So that's what, that's what I got to say. No, it's not too bad. I'm I'm trying to look up. Does it I couldn't say who find a composer for it, but I probably didn't dig long enough. I think I found it on Moby Games, but um, it just says contribute credits. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't list who wrote the music, which is so weird. I mean, they list a lot of the other credits, but just not music. But oh well. Yeah. Uh, mystery person, feel free to step up and say that you <laughs> did this. But so, why did you pick this one? Is it just because you like the music, or something about this company that was interesting to you? Um, well, just the fact, yeah, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, and then all the other games are just weird, like helicopter and first-person army simulator games. So it's just like, huh, kind of a weird, just weird game that they made just uh and plus was just looking through a bunch of list of uh california based games and looking for ones that were defunct and this is just one that kind of was like okay yeah here we go so no no reason 
Hey, no raisin. If somebody knocks on your door and says, "Do you want to make a Captain Planet video game?" The answer is yes. <laughs> I guess. I don't yes, know. <laughs> because well, you know, damn, Captain Planet was big. I loved Captain Planet. Oh yeah. I it, don't know what Ted Turner was on at the time, but he made something. He made something that grabbed me. So, it, kudos to him. It was weirdly big, wasn't it? It was like, yeah, you, you know, it was like the the X Men we have at home, right? You know, you watch Captain Planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Man. no. I, yeah, I don't know. And then there's like that whole whole thing that happened with like I think Don Cheadle recently did the whole Captain Planet thing, which was like weird kind of like psychological madness stuff. And then oh, I don't know about this. What's what is this? I don't know. Just look up YouTube. Uh, Captain Planet Don Cheadle. It's really bizarre. He's just like he just has like this weird kind of uncanny smile, and it's just just I I can't explain it. <laughs> Wait, so is he Captain Planet or I Yeah, he's Captain Planet. He's all in like the like this metallic blue uh body paint, has the wig and wearing the costume and everything and it's just it's weirdest yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. I might look that up, but I don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff already in this show. I don't know if I need more of that in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, quick rundown on this game though is um you get to pick a stage and play as a Planeteer, so think uh you know Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge, where each stage is assigned to a specific, you know, mutant, or in this case, Planeteer, though. You know, a paragon of good game design. Games, yeah, you definitely look at Spider-Man and the X-Men for how to design a game. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you just go on and fight all the different uh, polluting baddies. So you got, you know, Hoggish Greedly, Rat Dude, um, Lady with weird melted side face thing and her computer husband, and uh, uh, Money Man. <laughs> I don't remember their name. I don't remember either, but I can picture them. Uh, you know, blonde lady yeah. who looks like she used to be in a in a you know gem cover band, and uh, dude in like a, a tiger sh- uh, yeah. print suit or something like that. <laughs> yep. I don't know what people were know. on. I I mean it's... I know it was definitely drugs, but I feel like all the good stuff. Is gone now because what we see nowadays is nothing like the weird '80s and '90s. Why there was a Beetlejuice cartoon, dude? What the heck? Yeah, there was, and I loved it. It was great. It was, it was, it was weird, but it was great. It I loved was. it. But oh, what, what have you got? What have you got for us next? What strange thing do you have for us next? Okay, so this one's going to require a bit of a story, but uh, the music itself requires very little introduction. This is from the game Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2003. This is the menu theme, composed by Burke Treishman.
was the menu theme from Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2003, composed by Burke Treishman. That's and that's early 2000s. Isn't yes, it? very early <laughs> 2000s. Ugh. Yeah, so, sort of. You know, what what do you call that? You know, like big beat, break beat, yeah, kind of slow jam thing with like some weird little synth interludes here and there. So, and weird little elements of like kind of. Not quite smooth jazz, like almost, like it could be hold music. Oh, absolutely could have been hold music. <laughs> In the late 90s and early 2000s, and, and this is from the company EA, you know, Electronic Arts, Redwood Shore specifically, which, again, very close to where I am. And it's technically the, the site of, like, the main EA headquarters. But this is one of those, like, weird on a technicality kind of stories about a company that no longer exists. So... I'll kind of get into it, but basically, we all know who EA is. And in fact, <clears throat> when we talked to Brian Schmidt over at Pixelated Audio, he was writing a lot of this kind of stuff. It was like a little bit hip-hop, a little bit R&B, a little bit rock, a little bit of electronic, just like very like... A little bit, a it little was, bit of porn, little, little bit of porn strumming. A little bit, yeah. It was all just music that you yeah. would write for like... Um, um, incidental? Library music, that's what I was thinking. So they, they, were, they were writing a lot of this kind of stuff, and I just happen to like this jam. And so what's <laughs> what's really interesting about EA Redwood Shores is uh, they were literally just making, like, licensed sports games. It was, like, becoming incredibly monotonous, generic. Tiger Woods was kind of their big claim to fame. And then I think you may remember around the time this happened, the, like, EA wife story like people are getting super overworked in the games industry there was this whole like you know at least at the time they sort of pretended like they were going to change working conditions of the games industry and they were going to start opening things up to creativity <laughs> well you know for a little bit within the context of EA and then this is timely because Dead Space just came out but Don Vecca who I actually met in person was the audio director for EA, uh, or at least on many projects, and he was the audio director for Dead Space. And at the time, I was, uh, you know, around 2006, 2007, I was uh, taking classes in college, and I met Don, and he gave a talk on how they did the sound design for Dead Space. That might have been 2009, 2010. But it was like, so I just recently went to Game Sound Con, where I, I'm sorry, I'm name dropping a little bit. Where I met Brian yeah. Schmidt, who we talked to, and we saw a. And I saw I saw some of those pictures. Oh yeah, they were super cool. It was, it was just a great talk. But one of the coolest things about hearing all of the the game developers talking about their dynamic audio engines and the interactive audio is it's like Don's team did it first, or like they were the ones that really made a splash, like. In 2006 or seven, if you were making a game, maybe it was Gears of War, maybe it was like some stupid, um, you know, like Tom Clancy game. Yeah, I know, right? And then 2008, Ugh. Dead Space comes out, <laughs> and everybody's like, whoa, okay. EA is actually putting out some creative games, right? We got Mirror's Edge, we got Dead Space. And he went on this really awesome talk about they, you know, the 360s resources were quite limited. So they had to do basically four layers of audio and do like some dynamic um, calculation based on, you know, quote unquote danger level, right? So number of zombies on the screen, number of uh, amount of health distance to them. 
And then, you know, whatever that variable was from zero to one is what combination of like ambience that they would play and then the layers up to the top, the top being like battle layer, like zombies are in your face attacking you. And he talked about all this stuff about how like they recorded with an orchestra. I think it was like in Prague. They had all of these samples, uh, stingers that they used, you know, like a like an annoying like violin shriek sound or like a timpani hit. All, all these things that they would like trigger to make it sound more dynamic than it was because they were really just working with these like four hour long audio files essentially that they would have to like <laughs> switch through dynamically. And one thing that I thought Jeez. was really neat about this, I love this story. He sent one of his sound recordists to sit on the BART, I don't know, for like two days, three days until they could get uh -huh. the like grinding sound. If you go underneath, oh yeah. if you go from Oakland to San Francisco because it's underwater, sometimes if you get unlucky, r certain trains, certain tracks, certain times a day, you have just like this extremely uncomfortable like metal on metal sound. Oh. And he was just sitting there with like, you know, his field recording kit, boom mic, just like riding uh -huh. the train back and forth, back and forth until they finally got it. And Oy. I don't know, I haven't actually played Dead Space 1 or the remake. Um, but it's used in, a, like, I guess there's a hallway somewhere around the middle of the game where they, like, really don't want you to linger. It's, like, maybe a save room, but it's, like, you know, trying to progress. So they're using psychological tricks to get you to move forward. And it's our beloved shrieking Bart sound, which I thought was super funny. <laughs> and the reason why I brought this company up, and I'm not going to go down this road, is, like, they almost did it. They almost, like, they became Visceral Games in 2009 because Dead Space was so successful and then they made Dead Space 2, which was pretty good. And then there was so much meddling and Dead Space 3 was a disaster that they basically, yeah. you know, it's still part of EA, but they, they clawed it back. The, they sold it for parts. They re, you know, they tore the studio apart. Okay, yes, EA remade Dead Space recently, but it's been 15 years. It's probably not the same team. There's probably <laughs> like one name in common. I, I'm not going to fact check that. I'm just saying like, you know, and I know that the, actually the Dead yeah. Space remake is really good. I'm not talking trash on it. It's just like, kid, you know, it's the ship of Theseus yeah. thing, right? Like, <laughs> can we really call it the same company that made the original Dead Space when you're cycling through an EA? So I'm calling them defunct, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, no that, that makes sense. It's a shame, too, because, you know, of course, right. like, they gave them a little bit of leash. <laughs> you know, they, they let the reins go a little bit, but they just couldn't help with that corporate meddling. And so, you know. They probably burned a lot of good people out. No. Yeah. God, the money's. I know, I know. They get you. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, did you play Dead Space? Do you have any experience with the game? I know this is actually technically um, Tiger I, I, Woods. I, I, uh, <laughs> Tiger Woods, but who plays Tiger Woods? Who plays a lot who plays of people. PGA Tour? Oh, I, my I God. It was an annual okay. series for like 15 years, a decade, 15 well, years. Yeah, I like saw that. that. But still, who's playing it? Who's playing it enough to make it an annual thing? Guy, guy. But, um. Yeah, no, I played I played Dead Space and I played Dead Space 2 um probably about maybe 5 years after the fact that you know they came out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did enjoy them. Um it's kind of like kind of a toss up like you know, I, I enjoy Dead Space 1 and 2 equally. You know, it's kind of like the same thing with like Alien and Aliens, like they're they're two very different yeah. games, two very different style of movies, but like they're both equally enjoyable in their own ways. Yeah. Um my but I have a very good memory because uh my sister um, you know, just a little younger than I am, like played it. This is like maybe, maybe eight years or so ago, something like that. You know, she and her boyfriend were playing through them again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, she got really freaked out by the <laughs> by this by the uh, necromorphs, especially you know the first one you encounter with the big old spy, scythe arms. 
So every once in a while, when she wasn't expecting it, I just raise my arms up, kind of sight them out, and make the sound, and just come at her and freak her the hell out. So yeah. <laughs> Prop, props to the sound team. Uh, Dawn, Vecca, if you're out there, much, much respect. And um, who was the composer? Give me one second. I'm going to look that up. I should know this. Oh. I think it's Jason Graves. I believe it's Jason Graves, who I did actually meet at uh, VGM Con. Ooh, lucky fella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a really cool guy. He's super nice. Um, I still really want to talk to him on our show. Yes, he... Uh, wrote most or all of the music maybe not like every single bit of incidental music but yeah jason graves um don becca i'm sure there are plenty and as a sound ish guy myself much much props to all of the sound editors the audio engineers the library people who managed all of the hundreds and thousands of files the programmers who did the game audio engine to make all of that work like it's a it's a really a team effort. I know in our shows we often talk about individuals, composers, um, and honestly, I feel a little bit bad because I almost did not talk at all about Brooke Treishman, who is a great composer in his own right. He worked on Toe Jam and Earl Three. He's um, I think he worked on was it Pandemonium? I'll have to look that up. Um, but he's Brooke Treishman is one of these like secret killers. Like you hear his music and it's like, damn, this guy's really good. And you don't really know about him because he's a chameleon. He'll like just kind of take on these projects. He's just like, he's not a name that comes up, but he's solid. Like he really knows how to write. So I'm mad respect for that guy. I guarantee you've played some of the music or played some of the games that he's worked on music for. Like, I guess he was working on Star Control 2 all the way, way back when. Oh, dang. Yeah. Maybe. So he got sucked up in the EA verse and he was just like, too talented for his own good so he just got turned into a generic composer like so many others the corporate yeah. machine man <laughs> anyway, well, that's yeah. all i gotta say uh, props to burke treishman too i know i'm <laughs> did not give him his due but i really wanted to use this excuse <laughs> to talk about dead space <laughs> then that was tiger woods bj tour 2003 <laughs> <laughs> all right so i got yeah so i got one more here for you so one more before your last one. Um, so this is a game, one out of all the games here, this is one I've actually played. Oh. And um, it was my one of the first games, I think, well, second or third game I got for the PSP. Huh. Um, so this, we're going to be listening to Basement by from Death Jr. This is composed by Robert Baffey, and this was developed at, by Backbone Entertainment.
that was Basement from Death Jr., composed by Robert Baffey and developed by Backbone Entertainment. And, uh, yeah, this here um, was... What was I going to say? Yeah, this is uh, I, one of my first games on the PSP, other than Luminous. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a... You know, it's just one of those games where you kind of don't really... Like, you play it, and then you don't think about it afterwards. It's just... It's kind of, you know, just a cool little 3D game on the PSP. You know, handheld. You're like, whoa, this is cool. I, I feel like... I feel like there were a lot of like death-themed games weirdly around this time. Yeah. On the PSP, like I remember Deadhead Fred. Did that get on the PSP? And maybe that's the only other one, but I feel. Wasn't it that I, the PSP? I know. I know there was a PC game. I I, I thought it, I thought it was. But, uh. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of it. No, no, it was on PSP. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was just like it was like not just zombies, although that was obviously even still popular by that point. But like, you know spooky horror a little bit of like invader zim kind of like kind of thing yeah it's kind of like around that same time just <laughs> spooky kids invader zim you know a lot of jthm uh, really yeah, getting another, big again another san jose uh, legend high schoolers uh you know yonan vasquez straight yeah. up you know from my hometown <laughs> dang so tell me about backbone i honestly i remember seeing their logo a lot i am not surprised they're gone now but i remember they did a lot of ports and like retro game collections yeah this one this one this one is interesting yeah. okay so yeah they started in 2003 defunct but as of 2015 they were based in emerysville but um so they started because it was a merger between digital eclipse mm -hmm. and imagine engine so like you know digital eclipse which is known for doing their uh, ports of like old arcade games or even like console yeah. games to modern consoles. And then Imagine Imagine Engine, which was an edutainment company. And somehow these two just came together and started Backbone and, you know, made Death Jr., which was kind of like their flagship game. And uh, after that, actually before that, there was a game called Rifts of Rift, Promise of Power on the End Gauge, which I was trying to get the music for, but I couldn't find any way of getting the music. There was only like gameplay videos with just sound effects going on, no rips of it or anything. And it was pretty interesting interesting stuff, but um, you know, it did do a lot of uh, arcade and console game ports to the uh, Xbox 360. I don't that's another console family I'd never had or owned. Um, so I don't know how all that worked out if it was just like a like arcade or digital thing. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of that's mostly what they did was just a lot of ports. Yeah, I I I'm I remember I remember their work. I had the Sonic Ultimate Genesis collection. I'm looking at their stuff and Midway Arcade Origins. Uh, so I I remember their name mostly from the retro game collections that they did. I know there were some others, uh, but yeah, I it's always a little sad to see like a small company either get absorbed or, or get destroyed. I'm I believe Iron Galaxy is still around. If I'm thinking of them, that still does that same kind of work. Say, of course, uh, Digital Eclipse. You know, we all know them for like what they've done with like the Street Fighter collection, uh, the Atari 50. Yeah, it was just released, and then like all their work with like the uh, what is it the uh, that Teenage Mutant Turtles collection that came out as well. Like you know, they obviously survived that whatever whatever happened to Backbone. They were able to kind of pull back from that and still do their own do their own thing. Yeah, I heard that Atari 50 collection was pretty good. Also, that's what I've been hearing too. Actually, um. I went to Sacramento Gamers Con or Ga Gamers Expo last year in Sacramento, and I met Stephen Frost, yes. who was one yeah. of the, uh, I think he's like one of the main producers there at Digital um, Digital Eclipse, and I got like a quick interview with him too about just all the stuff they were doing, like about the audio behind the scenes stuff Sick. and just what they're doing there, and uh, yeah, like um, I have my episode up for that, and 
yeah, it was really cool just to get to talk to him about that and find out just all the dedication they do and like just trying to dig up all this information, find all this um, like just everything about what they're working on, you know, especially with Atari 50, just finding all these, you know, old boxes and instruction manuals that they just scan them in, all the interviews they did and just, yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. It's just a really cool experience, but yeah. Yeah, I just, the, like, I feel like a lot of companies are really doing justice. I, I remember when this came out recently, but I know we're not talking about Backbone anymore, but Digital Eclipse just did the, the making of Karatika, yeah. which is like a game slash commentary thing. Like you, It's kind of like pop-up video where you see like facts about the game as you're playing. Like, And, and it's just like, why haven't we seen something like this before? It's a simple enough game. And I just love that dedication and respect for... Like, let's be honest, Karatika is not that good of a game in a modern context. Like, even the original Prince of Persia has aged a little bit better, but it's super important because you don't get Prince of Persia without Karatika or Kar- Karateka. I don't know how that's pronounced. So it's like, you know, just like that recognition of game history is super cool, you know, without... Because I think it's so easy for us to focus on, like, the objectivity of a game's quality, but it's like, well, you don't get this without that, you know? And like, I, I think people love the Devil May Cry series, but we had to struggle through Devil May Cry 2 to get there, you know? Cause it was, but that was a whole other story. Cause you know, changing, <laughs> changing developers and things, but it's like, you know, if it had died right there, we wouldn't have this great series. And so like, there are these, I, I, struggle to talk about this in games because people do not appreciate those like incremental steps you know like street fighter one who cares but street fighter two jank right you know (laughs) yeah that's the yeah yeah you got to have the jank if you want the good stuff pretty much that's that's where they're that's where they're figuring stuff out absolutely yeah like you don't get street fighter two as street fighter one it never you you know it would have been called something it would have been a game before it you know what I mean? Like, and so I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I do appreciate that there are companies that are looking back at our history and I know backbone did a lot of that. And I yeah. said, well, you know, and uh, <laughs> like I said, they still technically kind of live on because, you know, digital clips was basically like, you know, part of backbone or was, I, I, I don't know how all that works out. I don't know how, why it worked out, but you know, you can kind of say backbone still lives on with like their, you know, digital clips doing all their reporting and collections and stuff. So I don't know. Kind of just weird nuances I don't understand. <sighs> Everything just gets so much messier with game companies after like the year 2000. It's you know. Yeah. <laughs> we'd be here all Everything's day. Everything's gotten messier after the year 2000. Tell me about it. <laughs> <sighs> just imagine if uh, certain events hadn't happened, like you know, how how much cooler things potentially could have been compared to what happened. But- and gaming know. died. Gaming died with the Dreamcast. Let's be honest. Oh, we saw two futures ahead of us. It was <laughs> MMOs and you know games as a service, and it was like the best version of Sega arcade games you can imagine. Oh and yeah. We chose poorly. Yep. <laughs> What's this shiny black tower? <laughs> this fan is. Uh, oh God. Those like you know probably people were like, oh man, this thing's so quiet. No, we, we went with the underpowered <laughs> PS2. Don't get me wrong. I love my PS2. But the Dreamcast was like such this wonderful little time capsule of gaming that was like, it really was like the last 
I don't mean this just in the years, like the last system of the 90s, but like the culture of what gaming was before it changed directions to be bigger in scope, more involved, bigger teams, bigger budgets and all of that stuff. It's just when things were still allowed to be just really just weird and experimental, like, you know, make make the game that you want to make. Yeah. Street Fighter, but with high school students. Yeah, without much interference. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Boy. Well, speaking of Capcom stuff, this one is a strange one because I it's definitely not developed by it's Capcom. Not. No, so this this next game is Strider from 2014. It was developed by Double Helix Games and this track is I believe I picked the Research Lab track. That was the track Research from the 2014 Strider game, developed by Double Helix and composed by Michael John Mollo. And I, first off, I have to say, I'm not super familiar with Michael Mollo, but if you look at his credits, he's primarily a film and TV composer, which makes sense because he lives in Southern California. Double Helix is from Irvine. And, you know, I... It's a little sad because, like, I look at their game credits and I understand why they got acquired. 
But man, it, it's it's sad to see them go because like they they were just hitting their stride. Like they started with Silent Hill: Homecoming. Okay. Uh, they did GI Joe: The Rise of the Cobra, which I didn't play, but I heard was pretty good. Huh. Front Mission Evolved, which I heard was kind of all right, but like you know they were kind of on this upward trend. Um, they worked on Killer Instinct season one way back in 2013. Then in 2014, they make Strider, which is, I'm just going to say like way, way better than I thought it would be. Like it's a super action heavy Metroidvania. So like, like it's frictionless. You're running through stages and it's like, go to that thing and kill a million enemies on the way there. (laughs) And it's like, yes, this is so awesome. And a lot of the soundtrack plays tribute to the original Strider and Strider 2 music. Okay. And as you mentioned during the break, very similar to like a Bionic Commando rearm. Yeah. Except they did go straight Metroidvania, you know, sword upgrades, you know, double, triple jump upgrades, oh, sword extensions, you know, switch weapon, not polarity, but, you know, there's like different beam colors, you know, use red on the red enemies, that kind of thing. But it's like, it doesn't really matter. You're there to like hack and slash a bunch of guys you just sometimes go back track a little bit great great game okay. I, I really really love it i was really disappointed when they didn't have a follow-up i think they got absorbed as one of these like huh. amazon companies when a tech company that doesn't know anything oh. about games buys yeah. you up if google calls you the stadia studio you're not making games anymore i'm sorry buddy oh god no. yeah you're you're making oh. tech demos that get shelved and I feel bad for you because you're getting paid better than you've ever gotten paid. But you've got creative blue balls because you're not working on games anymore. <laughs> uh. So <laughs> I think they're still technically around. Yes, Amazon acquires video gaming studio Double Helix, but like shadow of its former self. This was their last game. And what a way to go out. But, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Like I was saying, I don't I don't know terribly much about Michael Mollo, but yeah, he's his credits are very very film oriented. It looks like he worked on The Lorax. Oh, dang. He was on the music department for that. Ice Age. <laughs> uh, what are some other movies? Um, Kung Fu Panda 2. You can see what kind of stuff he was working on, yeah. you know. Very you know, very very contemporary film composition, very heavy sound design, you know, really big textures, beautiful sample libraries. Yeah. I will say I picked this track specifically because the music is a little bit less like let's do a straight cover of Strider from a track that everybody recognizes. There's like a little quote or two in there from musical passages that's like, yeah. oh yeah, there's like a Strider little, you know, theme in there. But I, okay. I like it. It's like it's the sci fi lab. <laughs> the little little theremin at the Ooh. beginning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of thrown off by that. I was like, what, what kind of... Is this going to get cheesy? And then it just goes on to that dark beat type of thing. I don't oh, know what man, to call it. Man, this game's it. a trip. Everybody's like, Hollow Knight is this great Metroidvania. And I say, it's fine. It's good. Play Strider instead. It's more fun. <laughs> it, like, it's it, it scratches that action platformer itch. Like, yeah, from what you're saying, it's just one that you're just going, going, going. Not a lot of, like, stopping and exploring. You're just going forward, get to your goal go back that way get back to another goal get this thing keep going and just like uh is, is there like a combo meter on it there there i think so i just remember like the majority of your time is spent just mowing down enemies like left and right it's so and this part in particular the science lab has this moment that i absolutely love you unlock this power to go through these warp gates 
So it's they're like kind of like a slingshot, you know, like the whole Mass Effect thing, like those space slingshots. Like you know, you throw you throw something. Obviously, not speed of light stuff, but like you've been passing these things the entire game, and then you get the power, and then you're just like, essentially, take it to this like massive tunnel at crazy fast speeds. You know, it's just like, woof, 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 woof. you know, you're just like getting launched through progressive tunnels, and you're like. You know, like the Metroid thing, you pass by half the game that you just saw in like 30 seconds. Yeah. It's like, this is badass. Damn. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great. I love this game. It doesn't get nearly the credit it deserves. It's one of these like sleeper hits. It's still really fun. Um, you know, it's just like it came out at that very tail end PS3, very early PS4. It's a 2D budget game. It, it was never going to do huge numbers, yeah. but... It's, yeah, one of my favorite games of the last decade. Dang, okay. Definitely have to look it up. At least look up some gameplay. Oh, yeah, yeah. At least look up some gameplay, and you're going to be like, when's the next Steam sale? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, kind of contempl still contemplating getting a Steam Deck or not. I've heard they're fun, man. I've got a couple of friends that have them. They really love those things, so. I just don't know if I need another. Like, you know, I got the Switch. I got the Mio Mini. I, I do have a laptop that's able to, you know, capable of playing you know, <laughs> most things. You know, not anything within the last four or five years or so, but it's just the convenience of having something in my hand and just being able to just do it right there instead of having to like, you know, schlep over to my laptop and turn it on. And I, I like, I, I've heard, I've heard a lot of friends say they love them. If you can get it on a good deal and people sell them on Craigslist and whatnot uh, for pretty reasonable prices. And the nice thing is other than like storage, I think most steam decks are pretty comparable in terms of specs. So you can, a pretty good one can be had for not that much money these days, but I don't need to get you to spend more money on video game stuff. We're here to talk about game companies that don't exist. <laughs> no more. Can't spend money on them no more if they're not around. If them's dead. Play Calibri. <laughs> oh, man. Play a hummingbird shooter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you oh, can. I, I can. I can. I've been, I, hey, I might, as, I might as well just go back to it and just muscle through it and just see what the hell happens. I don't know. But uh, I've also started playing Dead of the Brain, which is a lot more interesting, so... Oh, what's that one? Um, that's that PC-98, like, uh, adventure game. Oh, nice. Yeah, I finally got the PC-98 to work on the Mio Mini, and I've only got a few games working on it, but I'm trying to get a bunch more. But, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's just a straightforward adventure game and, uh, you know, zombies. A lot of graphic zombie violence. I've never gone down the rabbit hole of trying to get the PC-98 to work, but I bet there's some gems Oh, yeah, in there. and um, if you um, – good place to check for – uh, I can't remember what it was. I think I found like an archive of just different bunch of uh, English translated PC ninety eight games. So it's definitely something to look oh, into. Oh man, yeah, because like I think Dead of the Brain. I already know. I, I already know. I already know what we can do for our next episode because uh, we'll talk about this offline. You just you just got me thinking about something, so I'll I'll bring it up. Oh jeez. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Hey, Gene. Gene's a repeat repeat volunteer, folks. I love my weird, like, internet video game esoterica, you know, like... It's great, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's like, there's so <laughs> many of these bizarre little stories in the world of video gaming, you know, that I can, you know, just go off on a rant about Tiger Woods and not talk at all about Tiger Woods, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, hey, we're going to talk. We got this golf game. We're going to talk about Dead Space. Why not? <laughs> Golfing in dead space. Use a use a use a necromorph's arm as the club. I'm waiting. I, I think they had some sort of Dead Rising golf game uh, as a joke, as like a April Fool's type thing. 
Uh, I'm out of things to say, man. I'm I'm spent. <laughs> I know you're just spent, but yeah, thank you, Gene, for just like yeah, bringing this strange and unexpected topic. This is not something I would have thought of my own, on my own because I don't have that that history with game companies in California, and I, it's definitely interesting. I mean, we can, this is a topic that's imminently repeatable, of course, but I I just wanted to like it gave me an excuse to pick very specific weird games that I wanted to talk about. So that was my. I mean, not like Strider's a weird game, but, you know, it's it's definitely one that is a little underrated for sure. Yeah, it's definitely not something I would have uh, found and featured on my own. And that goes for most of the tracks that we featured today. Definitely some interesting stuff, but probably not as interesting as the stuff that we usually feature on our individual shows. We'll, we'll have some good music for the next one. I got a, I've got a great theme. Once you've celebrated, you are... are where what episode number is this? I'm. Oh, I have no idea either. I know it's going to be after 100 is when this one's going to come out. Well, congratulations on 100 episodes and whatever this one is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As of we're recording this, I am. Uh, I have almost done with episode 98. I already have an idea for 99, and then 100 is going to come out, and then I'll probably have a blast of guest <laughs> episodes coming out after the new year, starting with yours. For sure, man. Yeah, I'm excited. And I'm still kind of coming to grips with the fact that I've made these many episodes in this amount of time. That is a you've you've put out so many episodes in in a good time. It's been really cool to see your show evolve and sort of you know find its identity. I mean that just takes time. You know it is just like figuring out what you know you want to do more of, what you want to do less of, and like what kind of niche you want to fill. And I've really enjoyed. Honestly, <laughs> I've really enjoyed having an avenue to talk about just weird nonsense because Brian would never tolerate this. He's like, nah, man, we, we got to have these shows a little bit more focused. And you're like, what if we talked about composers that don't write for games but did a game that one time, you know, <laughs> like my last episode? <laughs> yeah, like I said, just the weirder it uh, is, the more I'm excited for it. Just bring it. I'm ready for it. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm. That's that's the beauty I said of an emporium. It's just, just the weirdest shit you would not expect to find. In a place, we uh, you know that's what you can call this. this is a this is a place. It it is a place. You just gotta dig into the into the yeah. bargain bins and find all that goodness. Yeah. Go go under the back, dig into the dusty ass like shelves on the lower part. You never know. There might be some. You know, golden goo that I found like years ago that might have value to you. I don't know. Well, I I am a trader of trash, so I've got all sorts of this stuff lined Ooh. up for whenever the next one happens. I like trash. <laughs> I'm ready for it. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Gene, for coming in. And, you know, I imagine most folks know who you are, but, hey, it's always never hurts to, you know, tell folks who you are. For sure. So I'm, I'm Gene. I'm one of the co-hosts of the other podcast you may have heard of, or there's plenty of them but the one of those other vgm podcasts pixelated audio we've been doing our thing since 2014 um we've talked to a lot of really cool guests we've covered some really interesting games we tend to have a little little bit more of a historical focus which is why i tend to keep this kind of minutia in mind even though i barely looked at notes i'm pulling most of this stuff from memory so that should tell you how much i tend to think about this kind of thing and, um, you know, I've just enjoyed being involved in the game community, talking with cool people, you know, doing historical deep dives on sound chips and game companies and composers and, you know, even the evolution of, you know, sound hardware. And we've, we've talked about so many different topics. We did one show entirely about 
game audio preservation, like literally the mechanical process of ripping game audio and the various ways that that's done. I don't think we often think about and appreciate how much work goes into like being able to kind of quickly find these soundtracks for games that yeah. honestly, I don't think anybody is digging back up again. Nobody's looking for like, oh man, that menu theme from PGA Tour 2003 really is like, <laughs> is my jam. I got to listen to it right now. But somebody out there did it. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, I've already done, like, a couple episodes about, like, you know, Fresh from BGM Rips, which is another site where, you know, a lot of this stuff, like, especially, you know, Chiptune, like, FM, any, like, 8-bit, all this stuff uh, is being archived. Oh, we pull from we pull from there all the time, yeah. Yeah, and it's just really cool to, like, you know, yeah, these ones I take the time to, like, really credit the, the people that are actually ripping these, arc, you know, these uh, packs. And, um, and I know uh, one of the other podcasters, um, Ed Wilson, of the BG Embassy is actually uh, goes by Ruiner Nine, and if you ever go on KH Insider and you you know download an MP3 from there and you see the name Ruiner Nine as like kind of the um, author or whatever it is, that's who it is. That's Ed Wilson of the BG Embassy. He's he says he's like ripped hours and hours and hours of BGM for uh, you know KH Insider. It's crazy. Oh yeah, Ed is he's also one of these just he's the nicest dude and he does so much great work for the game VGM community. He's very humble. He doesn't like brag or anything, but he's I love him. I've I've worked with him. He's been on my show once or twice. I'm, you know, I'm really happy that he's still active and that his podcast is still going. Check out uh, VG Embassy. Great show. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I I just listened to a couple of episodes recently. Keep keep doing what you're doing, Ed, if you're hearing this, which I don't know, maybe you're not. We've all got we're all busy. <laughs> <laughs> so so many just so many so many po- so many vgm podcasts to keep up with it's it's amazing i uh, barely keep up with my own <laughs> oh dear oh dear well with that i think we'll uh call this uh call us a night on this on or close the close the store on this episode yes you don't happen to have any acclaim entertainment back there do you i may i don't touch it very often <laughs> but it's there possibly <laughs> Yeah, marked marked down to like one cent yes. at this point. Claim <laughs> LJN, um, you know, you know, you know the you know the big those big names that are very well known for being very well much marked down. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure being on the show. I'm glad that you allowed me this indulgence. Uh, yeah. This is always so much fun. Hell yeah! <laughs> no, it was a great time, man. Thank you so much for uh, yeah bringing it in, and I look no forward problem. to what you have in mind for the next time. You got it, bud. And howdy, this is uh, AJ from a more recent time, and I'm still in the dark as to what he has in mind for his third guest episode. Now, what I have here is a bit of an update, is that I'm recording this uh, many weeks after this episode was recorded. Um, and between that time, I actually met met Gene in person at Sack Gamers Expo in December, as well as Brian Stewart, who's a pretty dang cool guy. And uh, I got to clarify that he is not the Brian that co-hosts Pixelated Audio. This is a different Brian, but he is nonetheless a great lover of EGM. Now, speaking of pixelated audio, definitely go check that out. You know, Gene told you all about it, where you could find it. You know, the cool thing is that both our shows cover pretty obscure VGM, but, you know, where mine's is just, like, all over the place and just kind of wonky-wonky, theirs is pretty focused and a lot more uh, contained, which makes for a really great show. And so I'm looking pretty forward to having Gene on again, as well as eventually I'd like to get Brian Mosley on here, who is the other, you know, co-host of Pixelated Audio, because the interaction that we had at MagWest last year was, uh, you know, pretty cool. It was a fun, like, fun time actually getting to talk with him, so I'd like to get him in here and see what he'd bring in. And hey, I even want to try to get Brian Stewart in here if he uh, is up for it. I think he'd fit in great here at BG Emporium. 
Speaking of which, um, if this is your first time in VG Emporium, welcome. And I'm going to let you know that you can find it on all your favorite podcatchers, such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Audible, Google, um, until that is gone, because I hear tell it's going to be going away pretty soon. Though, um, as you've heard mentioned, I have gone over 100 episodes, so reaching that threshold, a lot of these podcatchers are, are starting to drop earlier episodes and only keeping 100 up. So if you want to find all of them, there is the website, vgemporium.wordpress.com, or TerraPlayer, which is a hub for many a video game podcast. And then for social medias, you can find VG Emporium at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And there is a Discord, which you can find linked in the show notes. And there you can find different kinds of channels. You can, you know, give me some feedback, make suggestions for, like, you know, future episodes or topics, as well as play special orders, which are song requests, which once I get enough, about five or six, I'll do their own dedicated episode, which actually was, I did one last week. So now to close things out here, I'm going to tell you about what I have planned for these next few weeks. So next week, going to have my second year anniversary episode where I'm going to be picking my personal favorite tracks from every single month of last year, 2023. And then the following week, I'm going to have Rob Nichols of Rhythm and Pixels on uh, talking about tracks that could be rap instrumentals. And then the week after that, which will be the last week of January, I'm still figuring that one out. And then the first week of February is going to be St. John of Nerd Noise Radio. And we're going to be talking about really good songs from games on the Sega Genesis. So as the time I'm recording this, which is in December, to that first week of February, I'm hoping to have a couple more guests recorded as well. You know, so definitely a lot of cool stuff to look forward to. So again, thank you for coming into VG Emporium, video game music and more, and hope you decide to come in next week for that two year anniversary special. Ah, and make sure to listen towards the end of the song because there's a funny little nugget at the end. If you just want to check that out, go to the one hour, 28 minute, 20 second mark. Bye. You know, it's very stressful being the king of pain. No, the king of the game. Yes, I am the king of the game. And I have many secrets. For instance, I could show you a whole other side of Pissed Island that you've never experienced. Yes, no. Yes, you haven't. And you won't, because I'm saving it for the sequel. Aren't hot tubs wonderful? I can sit here and enjoy the fact that you'll be leaving soon. No, no. Very soon. No, no. Now. Bye.